That makes me happy. It makes me also think about mowing the lawn, which doesn't make me happy, but it makes me happy that it's getting warmer, so praise God for that. Um, but welcome to all of you guys this morning. Um, for our first-time guests, welcome to you guys as well here in the sanctuary or those of you online with us. For those visiting for the first time, we do have a code that you can scan or um, click on online. For those of you in the sanctuary here with us, a little scan um, on the chair in front of you, you guys can scan that. That'll bring you to a spot on our website. You can click on that and fill out a little form. Just ask a couple questions that you can ask us some questions, find out a little bit more about Sunrise, and we'd love to send you a gift later this week for saying thanks for hanging out with us today. Well, God is good. This is Palm Sunday, celebrating Christ's entrance back to Jerusalem, humbly on a donkey, but um, greeted by worshipers waiting palm branches. And as we worship today, we're going to sing Hosanna. We're going to raise hallelujah to him and praise his name. So why don't you guys stand with us as we sing together.
Sing, open up the gates. To open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. For the God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow Who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Fights for us. Stop the Lord Almighty. Yes, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battle. bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. Amen.
God, we shout Hosanna today. I can't help but just have that picture in my mind of you riding on that humble donkey into Jerusalem and the group of people surrounding you such full of joy and full of hope that a king has come to save them. Shouting Hosanna, which means save us, save us. God, we thank you for being our Savior, for walking that road that you know leads towards death. God, thank you that you are the the Lion of Judah who roars before us, going before us and fighting our battles for us, and yet also the humble Lamb who was slain for our sins, washing us clean. God, thank you for that kind of love we just don't understand, we can't comprehend, but for giving it so freely. And Jesus, we say we love you today, and we shout Hosanna. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? Well, I do have a few announcements for you guys as we head into the Easter week. Um, first of all, we want to let you guys know, remind you about our Good Friday service this Friday night. We'll be gathering here at 6.30 for a nice, intimate, kind of meditative service. We'll be diving into Scripture, hearing a bunch of Scripture read, and also um, just pondering and thinking on the last few hours of Christ's life here on earth. So please join us for that service at 6.30. Then on Sunday morning, we'll be having two services just to make space for everyone coming on Easter Sunday. First one at 9 o'clock, second one at 10.45. Um, just gives us a little bit of time in between to kind of clean and sanitize a bit and also for the parking lots to free up. So pick one of those services. And we also want to let you know, families, we will have childcare available for you. The nursery will be open and also um, one of the rooms in the back. So Children from nursery age up to pre-K will be having um, some programming for you guys. For anyone kindergarten on up to older children, us, right? Older adults. All of us will be hanging in the sanctuary in here together. So we'll have a service for us, and then little ones will have service back there for them. So join us for that on Easter. Also let you know that a couple of other things coming up on April 12th. Wine and Theology, another date for that. So women um, coming back from spring break will be having gathering at the Fishers residence again on the Monday, the 12th. And then Pub Theology, we're going to take a little pause and come back on May the 4th. So write that on your calendars for guys, also at the Fishers house, May 4th. That's it for me for announcements. We did have a really fun baptism recorded earlier in the week, so we'd like to show you guys that video here. So take a look at the screen. Into our faith family, we welcome them in. We recognize that a newborn child is a gift from God, and standing in the long line of generations of people who have brought their children before God, before the community of God, to acknowledge this child as a gift, we want to do the same thing. And so as we baptize a baby, what we're doing as a community is saying that we support and love the Atkinsons and their baby Isabel. And that we don't want them to be alone in raising their child. Their family is there for them, and their spiritual family, us, we are around them as well. 
And so in this process, what we are doing is making a commitment to the Atkinson family and asking them to make a commitment to us that we would team together so that Isabel would one day come to know the Jesus who we love and follow ourselves. So at this point, I'd love to have you guys go ahead and come on up. We've got Isabel Atkinson, Abigail, Mom and Dad. So we'll start by asking Mom and Dad a couple of questions. Very simple questions. Um, do you see Isabel as a gift from God? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Yes, we do too. We celebrate that. We celebrate you, Isabel. And so, do you follow Jesus as best you can? And do you long for Isabel, for Abigail, your two daughters, to come to know and to love Jesus? Yes. So, now we come to the church and we ask the same question. We are a church who proclaims that our mission is to transform the world with God's loving grace. And that includes this little one. And so, will we as a church stand together with these parents, with this family, so that they, are, they know that they are not alone? Will we work together to offer helping hands, listening ears, and words of comfort and encouragement to help Isabel come to know Jesus? If that is a commitment you would like to make, even where you are right now, just say, I do. You can drop a comment even here in the video area below. So with all of that, Isabel, we make a commitment to you and to your parents, to your family. We're going to do the best we can to help you grow up to know and to love Jesus. So it's my privilege, my honor, to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we pray for you guys. God, thank you for the Atkinson family. Thank you for the gift of new life, and that that life comes into the context of community. We pray that you would strengthen this family, give them encouragement, patience, wisdom for the days ahead as they raise their kids. God, use us, use their family. It's their spiritual family as a source of encouragement and of help for them along the way. God, we love you and we thank you for each gift of life. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Isn't she adorable? Man. Okay, so the Atkinsons are not here this morning. They came this week. They were not able to hear you say, I do, in response to them asking you to commit to helping them raise Isabel well to know and to love Jesus. So can we just take a moment to together, if you are a partner here at Sunrise, and you want to help pitch in to help this family know that they are not alone, and to help this little one, Isabel, come to know and love Jesus, would you just say, I do, so that they can hear you? One, two, three. All right, Atkinsons, we hope you hear that at home. We love you. We love Isabel, and we are excited to be a part of her story and your journey. Uh, that is really weird, by the way, to see yourself up on a screen in front of a whole bunch, in front of, a whole bunch of people. Um, I feel sorry for you having to see that every week. <laughs> and also, you're welcome. Um, if you're here for the first time, my name is Dan. If you've been with us for a while, thanks for coming back. Uh, as you know, this is Holy Week. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, and we've been taking the time through the Lenten season to remind ourselves again of who it is that God welcomes into his story the kinds of people that he wants to be a part of who he is. We see that in the story of Peter, we find someone who is verbally excited about who Jesus is, yet in his heart is still trying to figure out who Jesus is. And it's to Peter, Jesus says, follow me. Matthew is a tax collector. He takes advantage of people for a living. <laughs> and yet Matthew is someone 
who is drawn to Jesus, welcomed in, and Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Kids are in a room. They're gathered around Jesus. Not in a room, but they're gathered around Jesus. And the disciples are trying to push the kids away because they are a hurdle to community. They distract us from what we want to be part of. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 no. Every kid is an important part of my family and they are welcome. And this morning, as we stand on Palm Sunday, the story pivots a bit. We understand that Jesus welcomes all of us, no matter our past, no matter our age, no matter how well we cook or don't cook a turkey for Thanksgiving. And in Palm Sunday, we begin to understand what it is exactly that Jesus is inviting us into. Exactly what is it that Jesus is saying you're welcome to be part of? So on this Palm Sunday, I want to look at the story of Jesus entering Israel, entering Jerusalem most specifically. But I don't want to talk about the triumphal entry, and why is that? We're singing the song of Hosanna, God save us, and this is Palm Sunday. Why would we not be talking about that story? Because I think by not talking about that story, we are most faithfully talking about that story. And here's what I mean. There were all kinds of people surrounding Jesus as he entered the city of Jerusalem. And all of them are shouting out, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. They all thought they knew what Jesus was welcoming them them into. And it's not until Jesus enters Jerusalem later that those who were actually shouting out Hosanna with hearts and minds that understood who Jesus was and what he would do that it becomes clear why he came. And so I want to focus in John chapter 18. You can join with in your Bibles, whether that's electronically or in analog form. We'll have it here on the screen for you as well. But before we jump into reading this, let me pray. God, we thank you for your son. It is only to your son and because of your son that we cry out to you, would you save us? We recognize that no matter the deaths of our lives, the past, the present, even the future things that we don't yet know, that it is your love, your grace, and your welcome that gives us hope. And so God, together, in whatever way we need to, would you help us to survey our lives? Would you help us to survey this story in such a way that we can shout with our minds, with our hearts, with our voices, God, save us our hope is in you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, John is a follower of Jesus. He is someone who calls himself the beloved of Jesus, like Jesus is my homie, or (laughs) I'm his favorite. I'm the oldest kid. I'm the youngest kid. Whatever it is in your family, the one who's favored, John says this about himself. But John is a masterful writer. He's followed Jesus for a few years. He writes this book of John that we're going to look at. He also writes the book of Revelation, So if you've studied the book of Revelation, you know that there are all kinds of layers of complexity. John uses all kinds of literary tools to help our hearts and our minds understand who Jesus is. And so he's doing this as well in the book of John, in this story as well that we find in John chapter 18. When he, that is Jesus, finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. We're going to show that to you in a moment. He crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. 
Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, this place that Jesus was going, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Kind of like, uh, what's the burger place? Mr. Burger? Everybody goes to Mr. Burger, right? You want to find someone in the Hudsonville community? You go to Mr. Burger. You want to find Jesus and his followers? You go to this garden. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they're carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. So we immediately have two contrasts, right? We have Jesus and his followers, who we, according to the description of John, are carrying nothing with them. (laughs) They're not an army. They're not a military. They're not there to seek someone out. And yet, on the other side, we have Judas, someone who was once a follower of Jesus, bringing with him everything that represents what stands against who Jesus is and who he welcomes. And so Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he knew exactly what was happening. He went out and he asked them, this large group of people coming with their swords and such, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus induces them to say what it is he knows they know to see if they'll say it themselves. Well, he says, I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. John wants us to know that Judas is there and what his role is. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now, I don't know if that's actually what happened. Like, if it was like there was a surge of energy and they flew back and fell down. But I think the point that John is making here is that Jesus' presence, his words, what he stands for, knocks down at least intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and perhaps physically those who stand against him. So again, he asks, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. So Jesus answered, I told you that I'm him. (laughs) If you're looking for me, then let all these men go. All these disciples who are with me, would you let them go? You're here for me. This happened so that the words he had previously spoken would be fulfilled. And those words were, I've not lost one of these, one of those, one of these followers of mine, God, that you gave to me. These are words that Jesus said in John chapter 12 that he prays in his priestly prayer in John 17, asking God that all of those disciples who had been given to him would not be lost. Then Simon Peter, he's the guy who loved Jesus with his words, but is trying to figure it out in his heart. He had a sword. He's the only disciple of Jesus who has a sword. He draws it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Should I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him, and here we have this entry. They brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. And this is the story that the followers of Jesus would have had in their minds and in their hearts if as they stood welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna, with their shouting out, what they are saying is, God, would you bring us life through this man in a way that is not militaristic, that does not use swords or torches or binds people up? I told you we'd look at the Kidron Valley. First, let's look at the city of David. This is, if you go to Jerusalem now, you see this sign, the city of David. If you don't know what that Hebrew up there says, um, it's city of David. Now you all know a little bit of Hebrew. You're welcome. 
Here we have a, a very beautiful building. In Jerusalem, there are all kinds of structures that have been built to show the power and the glory of Judaism. Back in that time, and even now, it's the, the most uh, orthodox, most law-following Jews who live in or near Jerusalem. It's kind of like if you're a really great fan of a sport, you move to the city that you want to be part of, that, that team that you support, or you go to all the different games. In this place, there are all kinds of wonderful things built. This building itself has all kinds of things inside of it to enshrine for those of us who really love Jesus, who are the most central followers of God, the things that we would want to see to find out more about God. Now, this is an interesting place. You can't see it well probably in this picture, but in the top of that picture, I'll zoom it in a little bit. You see that ladder there? This is funny. It's also sad. So this structure is owned, it's shared by a few different religions. You've got Muslims, you've got, not Muslims, uh, Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Jews and Christians who share this building. And they all have different parts of it, and they've all decided that they're not going to infringe on other people's spaces. Kind of like church in America. We all have our different places, our different slices of the pie. Don't rock the boat and we'll be good. This ladder, though, is here because years ago, centuries ago, Someone came to do some work on the windows, but they left the ladder there. And that ladder has been there ever since. Because God forbid someone come and move that ladder and take priority or uh, authority over that space of the building and step on someone else's toes. This is the kind of people that Jesus is approaching when he comes into the city of Jerusalem. A group of people who have rules. The way things should be, clear-cut Lawns mowed, picket fences up, with the support beams facing your house, not your neighbors. You go inside of this building and you see all kinds of spaces. Here's one room I wasn't supposed to be in, but I didn't know that. The door was open, so I went in and I took a picture. And a nun came and said, scram. I think. I don't, I don't really know exactly what she said. But you can see how beautiful this is. All of the money, all of the time, all of the work that went into creating this space that the people who best followed God could come to. And of course, inside, you've got these people. They're like bodyguards. This is like a Pharisee. This is somebody who, while we were there, was rushing people through the lines to get to the spaces that people wanted to see. This guy was a grouchy guy. You stepped out of line, he'd point his finger at you, he'd shove you out of the way because you were infringing on the laws that were set up for people to function rightly. Now, why am I saying all of this? Again, it's this kind of a community, it is this kind of an expression of Judaism that Jesus is entering into as he comes into the city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, not every place in Jerusalem was like this, gaudy, super strict rules. There were also places where the ceilings were quite high, and that was a joke. Um, This is an underground place that was a sanctuary, a place where followers of Jesus in Jerusalem actually gathered to celebrate who Jesus was, a reflection of the people who fully understood him. And so Jesus goes there. He's going to go to this, walk by these shops that have places like this, and he knows all of this. He knows that he's going to go into this city that stands against the message that he has been communicating, which is... Sum up the entire law of God in these ways. Love God and love each other well and follow me. But in a context like that, that kind of a message doesn't get much traction. And so Jesus, as he stands outside the city, 
is looking at it from about this area. I don't know if you can tell very well, but these trees that are right here are up on a ledge, and then there's quite a dip that goes down and comes back up to the city there. This is that slope. This is the Kidron Valley. You can see what appears to be rocks down in this lower area. They are indeed rocks. And back in the distance there where it looks like there's no grass but all rocks, these are the places where faithful Jews have been buried. Faithful Jews who followed the laws of God, who wanted God to come and send a militaristic king who would come in and crush his foes with torches and with swords, were buried with their feet pointed toward Jerusalem. And so Jesus is entering again this place where there's all kinds of thoughts, misunderstandings about who Jesus is and what he's welcoming them into. And he finds himself in a place with these. This is an olive tree. <laughs> there's a, this tree was probably alive about the time Jesus was. You can go into gardens there and you can see these trees. And it's in this kind of a context. Today it would be like an apple orchard that are, where the trees are spread out, not the ones where they're super close together and climbing up a wire. But it's in this kind of a context that Jesus is found with his disciples by Judas. So in verse 1, John 18, again, we have John telling us that Jesus has just prayed. Jesus, this man who has already been into Jerusalem, hailed by everyone saying, save us, with people not understanding what that saves us looks like, and with people who did understand potentially what that saves us looks like. And he left this place where there are olive trees, where he had been comfortable with his disciples, where he had found sanctuary, close connection with God, and he passes down through the Kidron Valley and enters Jerusalem. But it's, after, it's before going into the city that Jesus is approached by Judas. What does this story have to do with what it is that Jesus is welcoming us into? I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to supporting the people who I love, who I trust, who I follow, whether that's a sports team or a specific cook or chef or TV show or whatever, someone's going to come and stand up against them, say poor things about them. I would like to limit myself to verbally throat-punching them. Are you the same? I mean, somebody who comes up and says, you know what, Hudsonville Eagles are pretty terrible. Um, you, you're not going to really come at them. But if you're on a wrestling mat, it's going to give you a little bit of extra oomph to come after them, right? If you're wrestling for Jenison. If you work for Ford and you live with neighbors around you who love Chevy, there's going to be a little bit of tension there, right? If you understand that Jesus is coming to this earth, like many of those who shouted Hosanna did, you believe that he's coming to set up a kingdom where he is the one who will rule over the city of physical Jerusalem, who will change it from a place of shops and of gaudy buildings and replace it with beautiful Christian Reformed churches. You misunderstand who Jesus is. 
And if someone were to come in and say to you, no, this is not what Jesus is going to do, we're actually going to kill him. If we're standing in Peter's shoes, we'd probably want to do the same thing that he does. Take out that Swiss army knife or whatever it is and sneak up behind a soldier and swipe off his ear. Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, put your sword away. You don't understand. I am, you're not trying, I do not want you, Peter, I do not want you, followers of me, people who want to follow me, I do not want you to subscribe to the idea that your job is to power up. Peter, it is not your job to help make sure that I am able to do what you think I am going to do and harm the people around you in order to protect me. No, what John does in this story is he's very careful to show us that it is the wrongdoers in this story who come with weapons. It's the people who come to arrest Jesus, and it's Peter. What Jesus is saying to his disciples who are with him in that garden before he goes into Jerusalem, what John is trying to communicate to us now as we are a people who are walking into the story of Jerusalem and what will happen on Good Friday and on Resurrection Sunday is this. Jesus gives himself to save us. That's it. The big picture idea for this morning's conversation is not that Jesus is this conquering hero who will do whatever it takes to cram himself into the lives of other people. No, 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 no. The point is that Jesus willfully comes to let everyone know you are welcome to follow me. But if you're going to do that, put your weapons down. Don't attack people. Let me do my work. On the lips of Caiaphas, verse 14, we have the words that John presents to us that help set into motion everything that we need to know. It's going to happen on Good Friday and on Easter. Here's what he says. Not word for word, but John tells us that Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. It would be good if one man died. This is a rabbi who says this. This is not just a a prophet. This is not just a, a nice person in town. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who is a rabbi. He's got his disciples with him. And any relationship between disciples and a rabbi is one where the disciples do what the rabbi does. If the rabbi says, go left, you go left. If the rabbi says, when we're in a boat and the waves are getting rough, stay calm, then the disciples do everything they can to stay calm. When Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and he's calling them out for their hypocrisy, what he is teaching the disciples is when you are standing in front of Pharisees who are not representing the word of God well, stand against them. 
We see this over and over again when Jesus does specific things to help his disciples move into the direction that he's calling them. He sends them out to perform miracles. He sends them out to pray for people. And there's even a sending in this passage where Jesus, as rabbi, surrounded by his disciples, is telling his disciples this. When there is anyone who is going to stand against the plan, the movement, the love, and the grace of God, you are welcome to be my disciples who instead of fighting back will give yourself. That's what Jesus invites us into. We don't like that. (laughs) We don't like that in our communities. We don't like that in sports. We don't tell our volleyball teams, hey, when we go up against another team and they score points, I want you to cheer for them. I actually want some of you to go on the other side of the net and help them win. What if we were a community who instead of believing that what God invites us into is self-defense, self-promotion, is instead a life of Self-denial. One of giving up ourselves and doing things so radically different that other people could see the story of Jesus and understand that he comes to welcome everyone into a life that is flipped upside down. Where the way for Jesus to become king and Messiah and the ruler of all is to make himself the one who descends the deepest, even to death on a cross? What if we were a people who instead of fighting for sunrise to be at the top of the mountain, what if we were a people who were willing to position ourselves so low that anyone could come and stand on our shoulders and see Jesus? Jesus welcomes not just kids, not just traitors, not just tax collectors, not just short, red-bearded guys like me and crummy people like you. (laughs) But he welcomes self-denial. Are we willing to give up whatever it takes, even if it's our own lives, for the sake of seeing and pursuing Jesus as our King? If we do, then sing Hosanna with everything you've got. Cry out to God, God, save us. And turn mentally this holy week into a time of seeing rightly what it is that Jesus does. He comes to give himself and to invite us to do the same. I'm going to pray and the band will come up. God, thank you for your son, for entering Jerusalem, not just in the moments when there are crowds who are yelling in excitement that you are there and laying down palm branches to make your entry comfortable. But God, thank you for the the intentional time that you knew was coming, that you didn't avoid, where in the garden you were present, where you allowed yourself to be, where you decided to become bound and walked back into the city to be misunderstood by so many people, 
so that we here today, so that we today could be part of your kingdom. God, your son, Jesus, is confounding. It is so hard to follow your son. It seems to call us to do exactly the opposite of what it is we so much want to do. God, there are times I want to metaphorically slice off people's ears because they misunderstand you, and yet you are a God who so graciously doesn't just correct me, but brings a healing salve and a healing touch to those that I've hurt. God, would you help me, would you help us to shout Hosanna, God, save us, not in just the way that protects us, but in a way that brings you to those around us, even if it means sacrificing myself. God, it's because of your son coming that we are grateful, that we even gather in this room now. It's because of people like John and Matthew and Peter who were there at the time who became convinced that your story and your perspective on life is true that brings us to the place now where we're struggling to believe, some of us. Some of us are believing wholeheartedly that it is your story, it is your perspective that will bring us life. So give us the strength that we need to live into that in Christ's name. Amen. Every Sunday at the close of our service, we give folks an opportunity to give to the church financially. You're welcome to do that. No one's watching you, so if you can't do that, that's fine. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, But for those of you who do, there's a QR code you can scan on the seats in front of you. There's a a link for those of you who are online that you can click. You can even do it the old-fashioned way, pre-COVID, and drop it in a bucket back here or mail it to us. I want you to know that when you give here, you're helping us to try to communicate to the world that Jesus comes not to be this conquering king who crushes terrible politics, who crushes strong people, but instead comes and he says, I want you to know that everyone in this community is welcome. And what Jesus is welcoming us into is a place of living in self-denial so that people would know him. So as you give, I want you to know that that's the lens we use as we distribute funds to folks in need, how we invest those dollars in students and so on. Let's, uh, Let's sing another song. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name. beautiful name it is.
nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, thy name of Jesus. Stand together. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you
serve a Jesus who is powerful because he came into this earth, he went to Jerusalem, and he was willing to give himself in the midst of a people who misunderstood him. May we, as a people who go back into our own Jerusalems this week, where there are different ideas of who God is, as those things push against us, may we be a people who, like Jesus, deny ourselves and help point people to Jesus, our triumphant King. Come back on Friday. We're going to invite you to be with us in this space, whether it's online or in this room. Come be in this room with us as we take the time to reflect on what happens between the story we talked today and that Friday night where Jesus gave himself for us to conquer the power of sin and death. And then come back and be with us on Easter. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.